Alright, it's another episode of Slim Quack. Welcome to Hamsterdam. I'm Rusty. That is Ifo Gumaye. Hola. Aloha. Um, basically, the theme of this last week is I have no idea what's happening. So, it all started on Friday. Friday really set the tone for the whole weekend with Clemson going down to Syracuse, which was immediately followed by Washington State absolutely getting dominated by Cal. This was not even a cooging. This was just... Just... It was just weird. You ever been in a bar and there's a big guy trying to make trouble and there's a little guy that decides it's his time to shine and he stands up to him and all of a sudden the little guy right off the bat just and the big guy falls that was captions it was uh mike leach to call called the them and their performance washington state's performance pathetic little front runners and everything they did and every player was pathetic basically that that game the Kawazoo game was Lennox Lewis versus Rockman 2. The knockout punch. I encourage all of you to look that up on YouTube because it is my favorite knockout of all time in boxing. Maybe and I'll just pull it up. It's okay. exactly what I just described. It's just two punches and everything stops. Yeah. So... uh Luke, in that game, Luke Falk went 28-43 for 286 yards and five interceptions. His QBR was 11. That doesn't sound great. It wasn't. It really wasn't. Um, and Cal, I think, had 10 sacks on the night. Like, these teams were... And these weren't, like, fluke interceptions either. Like, these were because, like, Falk was pressured or he threw it into tight coverage. There was, like, a couple big plays that were kind of, like, chance. But, I mean, those are the kind of plays you get when you're just kind of better than the other team. Well, and that's the plan against Washington State. You know, everybody knows that Luke Falk is relatively immobile as a quarterback. Um, he's the type of quarterback that will hold on to the ball and try and make plays at the last second. So it would take a lot of sacks. And he'll try and throw the ball away at the last second, which causes those type of fluky turnovers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this that's basically the Cal played the game plan straight up. They did a really good job. And from week one, Cal has kind of been one of the, in my opinion, the three main surprises in the Pac-12. You know, they beat North Carolina, who admittedly is turning out to be not a good program this year. Um, but they have been a pretty strong program. Their defense is much improved. Their offense is not bad enough to lose them a ton of games. Um, you know, they're they're not a bad program. Um, the other surprises are obvious. It's Arizona and Arizona State. I mean, I can't believe that Arizona is even potentially in the running to win the Pac-12 South right now. It's crazy. That's 
those uh, those are probably two of the biggest surprises in all of college football, much less just the Pac-12. Yeah, and then yeah. So on that note, Arizona with their backup quarterback um, beats UCLA forty-seven to thirty in a game where that score is really not indicative of how far apart these teams were. Um, Tate, the backup quarterback, only threw thirteen passes. And ran the ball 15 times for 230 yards. And Khalil Tate's a sophomore quarterback, so he's already been there a year. Um, Josh Rosen, 20 of 34, 219 yards, three interceptions, a QBR of 20.1. Khalil Tate, QBR of 98.7. So I I don't want to get too in-depth on UCLA because we're going to talk about them later. Yeah. Uh, preview our game this weekend but I mean what is it going to take for Jim Mora to not be their coach anymore uh I think an insane amount of boosters to stop donating because even though the UC system is in a much better spot than it was a few years ago financially I really don't think their administration wants to be buying out huge coaching salaries that's fair. It's reasonable. Um, I would have to look up what his buyout is. I don't know off the top of my head, but it, it's just every year there's the hype at the beginning of the season of UCLA is back and, uh, you know, oh, this is the year that they challenge USC. And every year there's this midseason swoon where they lose three out of four. It's. It's just what we come to expect from UCLA at this point. Okay. And we won on Friday because the biggest news of the week in the Pac-12 was probably Washington going down to our good old friends at, down in Tempe. Yeah, that was really the highlight of my weekend. That was really the highlight of my weekend. Jim Moore's buyout is last fall. It was about... $14.76 million. Ooh. I don't think the UC system wants to be paying for that. Apparently the UCLA leadership does not care that much about sports. Relative to a lot of other schools. Well, they, don't ca- they don't care enough to shell out like $15 million. They're a basketball and they're a rowing school. So, yeah, you know. crew. crew. Um, Arizona State... This was another game where Arizona State's defense was just absolutely suffocating. This was really... I don't know. I think UCLA... Or not UCLA. Arizona State just played so well. Because they were covering pretty much every receiver. They were getting after the quarterback. This wasn't really a fluke of like a lot of missed passes. Or like the line not being ready or things like that Arizona State was just the better team that night pretty much on all sides of the ball Washington had a lot of really bad plays on defense but the Arizona State defense against the Washington offense was not a fluke at all well and this goes back to what we were talking about when we did our season preview just like Luke Falk they're different players but Jake Browning is one of those quarterbacks who believes in himself and his receivers so much 
that he holds onto the ball and he puts himself and his team into bad situations by being pressured. Yeah. And against a defense like Arizona State that brings the house almost every single play, um, if you're the type of quarterback that holds onto the ball, you're going to put yourself in situations that are not going to be advantageous. And if you keep turning the ball over, if you keep taking sacks, um, especially since Arizona State has somehow figured out how to cover the back end, which has always been their weakness when they've, since they've used this this really pressure D scheme, um, it seems like this year they've kind of turned that that corner on in the secondary, and they've been able to pressure uh, while also keeping coverage. That's not a good recipe when you're playing against a quarterback who holds onto the ball and it will take sacks and throw turnovers. Yeah, it's a bad rep. It's it's not it doesn't work out that well. At all. So and then UCLA or no uh, USC beats Utah because Utah went for two with about forty seconds left uh, and was stuffed short, so they lost by one. I still think that's the right play call. I agree. Um, and then how about Oregon State? A missed field goal away from sending the game to overtime. It was a weird week for our brothers. It was a weird week. And yeah, and basically the the general theme is I have no idea how good or how bad anybody is. There's definite tiers to the conference. Like there's Stanford, USC, Washington, unfortunately Washington, are in that top tier. And then, but like everybody else... Like, where do they I think fall? as a conference, this is really how we've positioned our conference over the last few years. Um, you know, that you look at the SEC or the ACC, you know who the top dog is in those conferences. Yeah. And, and there's going to be some stratification, but it's Alabama, it's Clemson. This year, it's kind of Georgia, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but there's a definite. King Kong in the group. but and, and even in the Big 12 and the Big 10, I mean, the Big 10 is arguably the best conference in the country right now with Ohio State, Penn State, um, and Wisconsin. But even then, I don't know if there's another conference in the in the country that has the, the type of depth that, that our conference does, at least in the North Division. The South Division, it's arguable. I mean, they kind of beat up on each other and uh, you know, CU dropping a really close game to Oregon State is certainly not uh, not a good result for them. I mean, their their little one year revival last year is not continuing for this season. Um, but I think you could make an argument that the North Division in the Pac-12, if it's not one of the strongest divisions in college football right now, it certainly sets up well in the next three years because. Recruiting-wise, Taggart is doing great. Chris Peterson, as much as it pains me to see Washington do well, he's done very well since he was hired there recruiting-wise. Stanford is turning into a power with all of a sudden they're getting you know one, maybe two, five stars per class. Um, we could talk about that a little bit more when we go over our recap, but even their backup quarterback that came in played really well, and he was a five-star blue-chip guy. Cal's no longer a doormat, um, and Oregon State, you know, they're they're going to be they're bad. They're going to be struggling for the next you know four or five years probably. 
but that's five teams where in the next three or four years, it wouldn't surprise me to see three or four different North champions. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the sports writer world and a lot of people in Vegas whose opinions I really matter because their livelihoods literally depend on being right about sports who view the Pac-12 North as the best division in football. Which doesn't make our job of rebuilding any easier, right. but it's what we got to live with. Right. So kind of, kind of in that same vein, um, Oregon played Stanford. We did, and uh, it did the not result. Go well. The result didn't go our way this time. Yeah, and so next year. Yeah, and so the weird thing is, is that it's like, like just to show kind of how weird this whole. Uh, we're going to use some transitive property here, but this is kind of shows like how weird this whole thing is. Oregon beat Cal. That beat Washington State. That beat. Oregon and then Oregon beat Cal that beat Wazoo that beat USC that lost to Cal USC lost to Cal or no that Cal lost to USC Washington State beat USC USC beat Cal Cal beat Wazoo there's a ton of just like basically these triangles and just like snakes forever eating each other type of transitive property stuff and I mean it's really hard to figure out just exactly how good everybody is um, I think basically that the Pac-12 is just what you're trying to say the Pac-12 is the Ouroboros I don't know what that is it's uh, it's a serpent or a dragon eating its own oh, tail oh yes 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 I didn't know that was what they were called um, read exactly. a book Rusty I have a pin of it. I have a pin of it around here somewhere with the story of it. But neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, so Stanford 49, Oregon 7. Not chill. Um, the biggest, this was a tough game for a few reasons because Stanford's offensive line has been doing an amazing job of opening up holes to where and getting to the second level to where the Stanford running back most notably Bryce Bryce Love basically just had to run through the huge hole get to the second level make a good move on a safety and then beat the cornerback to the end zone did that a couple times Oregon started matching up really well inside started getting some stuffs and then Stan- the Stanford quarterback starts connecting with his wide receivers, the best that they have all year, probably the best I've seen in a couple years from Stanford. Their receivers, they were picking on Graham, picking on Lenore, putting their tallest wide receivers and tight ends out there. Um, and they... Chris was just dropping these balls in buckets. Like, I I really don't know how else they, the guys really could have defended it. 
other yeah, than know, jam I them mean, at the line and play them really tight. Otherwise, like I really don't know how else they would have defended them because they were good routes, good passes with good timing. So I think I actually came out of the Stanford game feeling uh, after the initial sting of losing to forty nine to seven, which was. I was at work really late Saturday night, so I that's how I started my Sunday. Not a great way to start the day. Um, but after that initial sting, I actually came out of this game feeling relatively confident about the direction of our program. Um, there are a couple reasons. That, okay, me. sorry. That is the opposite of how many people felt on Addicted to Quack that night. I know there's a lot of reasonable people at Addicted to Quack, especially during game threads and in the immediate hours afterwards. That was the exact opposite of how many of them felt. So, yep. Sorry, go and ahead. So let me explain myself. Uh, I, I look at the Stanford game as being a pretty large outlier, in my opinion, on a number of different things. Um, number one, how often have we seen a team throw? three successful fade routes in the end zone out of three play calls. I mean, Ooh, it... That just means our defensive backs aren't doing their jobs. It, it, it pretty rarely happens. And and it, our defensive backs, the, the young guys, Arian Springs got caught once on it, uh, but I think Thomas Graham got caught on another, and I forget who... Lenore. Yeah. Um, I mean, they basically posted up J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who had a phenomenal game for them? Yeah. Who the leading wide receiver, uh, and one of their tight ends. They just posted him up in the end zone, and were throwing fade routes to him. Yeah. Uh, as we all know, those routes do not tend to be the most high percentage plays in the world. So, you know, it's it's hard to feel too bad about the result of those plays. When you look at Arian Springs covering a guy all over and he manages to get a one-handed catch, you know, it's if you're just focusing on the process, that was a, a well defended play and it just happened to result in six. So that was number one. I, I think that those are kind of outlier plays and it's not very often where we would see three out of three of those go against us. Um, also, in that vein, most of our secondary, Graham, Lenore, Pickett, those are really young guys where they'll spend a, t- a summer in the weight room, they'll get stronger, they'll get bigger, and they'll be able to to do a better job of covering really tight on guys when it gets down to that red zone area. So future-wise, long-term-wise, I'm not worried about them because they've shown at least through this early half season of their true freshman careers that they can be playmakers. Yeah. The other reason I felt pretty confident is because of how many inopportune penalties we had. Oh my God. So 101 yards and penalties. Now this, there are, there are two ways to think about this. One, the rest hate us. There's a conspiracy to keep the Ducks down. Yes. Because the conference doesn't want us to win. That's it. That's it. None of the real news, none of these fake news outlets are going to tell you that, but that's the truth. 
Oregon needs Larry to Scott see. hates the Ducks. So I think there's two ways to think about it. Well, I guess three if you think that the refs are in their pocket. It's conspiracy. Um, number one is that this is a recurring theme among Oregon teams, and it's a real weakness for us. And there's some truth to that. I mean, we've been one of the most penalized teams in all of college football over the last three to five years. I think even going back to Chip Kelly years. I mean, yeah, it's it, at this point it is more than a trend, and that's worrisome. But we have seen flashes of this team playing very disciplined football. Um, the Wyoming games comes to mind where I think we only had, what, two penalties, maybe three penalties that entire game? Yeah. Up on my head. So seeing that this is a new coaching staff, seeing that these are a lot of young players who, you know, they may be playing at the peak of their abilities right now, where anytime you're playing at that edge, you're more apt to make those penalties to, to reach and hold guys. I mean, we had... And this is just off the top of my head. We had Tony Brooks James take a kickoff return, would have been to the fifty, and there was a block in the black, uh, block in the back on a freshman. Uh, Royce Freeman had a twenty to twenty-five yard run that got pulled back because Johnny Johnson the third held on it. Um, yep. Unnecessarily. Yeah, Burmeister had a very long run where, again, Johnny Three Sticks had a, a legal block below the waist, which I don't really mind that that much because I want our wide receivers to be aggressive and I want them to block on the outside. It's just a you got to grow up and you got to know what's appropriate there. Um, and then also another Burmeister keep where that would have gone for maybe 12, 15 yards where Jace, Jake Pisarczyk, um held and brought it back. Yeah. Those are not only are those penalties that were, you know, 10, 15 yards, but when we are struggling with a relatively new quarterback, those are drive killers. Yeah. And we, you know, if those penalties alone are not going to make a, a 42 point deficit, but they would have put us in position to score more points and make that that deficit much better. So that was number two. So the fade routes and the penalties, and then yeah, just and the fact we're so one-dimensional on offense right now, we're still being efficient running the ball. I mean, we had, what, mm, looks like 276 yards on the ground out of 43 attempts. Yeah, so we still average 6.4 yards a carry. If you tell me before the game we're averaging 6.4 yards a carry, I'm thinking that's awesome. We're going to crush it. But when we are entirely one-dimensional and we're sitting on first and 25s or second and 20s or you know third and 18, you can't run 18 yards on third down. Yeah, it, it, you know, we're... There, there's no doubt that as an offense, we're hamstrung. I mean, over Braxton Burmeister's play over this season, which the majority of has come in the last two and a half games, our average uh, yards per attempt of a pass for Burmeister is 3.3 yards per attempt. And when that's the case... Stanford could load the box with eight guys and not really need to worry about it. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's it was not a fun game. Losing is never fun. Um, but the thing I'm most excited about is that this team, when they lose, they keep responding in the right way. Yeah. I never saw guys hang their heads. I never saw guys jogging after Stanford running backs running right by them like we saw last year. Um, and and in the press conferences and the practices that have followed earlier this week, everybody is saying the right thing. Everybody is saying that, you know, oh, it's our unit that let everybody down and we need to get better. And, or it's the defense that let everybody down and we need to get better. And there's always some truth to that. I mean, if, if the defense doesn't let up three or four explosion plays, then we're probably in a much better position. If the offense gives Burmeister more time, maybe he can make those down throw, field throws. Um, so I, that's been the most encouraging thing, and that speaks volumes of this coaching staff to me, is the fact that they're keeping everybody on the same page, at least outwardly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, one of the things that always sticks out to me, like in some of these scenarios, is um, you can compare what people say when they lose some games to what they said in other games. And a lot of... Like, we can say, like, oh, this is just, like, coach talk or, oh, this is just player talk. But, like, especially after the game, Taggart wasn't saying that the quarterbacks practiced better than they played after the Washington State game. If we heard that, like, two weeks in a row, then I would say, okay, maybe this isn't, that's not the problem. Maybe it's just they aren't doing well. Um, But, you know, like, in the past, we didn't hear these same players take the blame or like take it upon themselves to really own ways that they can get better. Each unit is pointing out a couple things that they know they can do better on offense and defense to help out the team. And I think that's positive. I, you know, it's nobody expected a national championship this year. Nobody expected a Rose Bowl this year. I think we're far enough into this season where we know what this team is. I mean, the, the strengths of this team is the running game. Yeah. Uh, a Always surpri- was. A surprising strength has been the disruptive ability of the D-line and the defense as a whole. I mean, we're they, they it's fallen off a little bit, but at the start of the year, we were taking the ball away quite a bit on defense. And the strength of this team is the fact that they don't give up and they have a lot of young talent that sets us up well for the future. Now, the weaknesses even though the young talent is a strength right now that that youth is a weakness because yeah. they're learning to play college football and then the other weaknesses are penalties and a new quarterback that right now is just unable to stretch the field um, and you know quite honestly lack of solid depth where when guys go down it's hard to to keep play at that solid level. And that'll get better as we keep getting recruiting class after recruiting class in over the next year to two years. Yeah, and that's really where you see the importance of recruiting is in is basically in the depth 
on each roster. So, like, this is a, 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 I mean, this is kind of like, I mean, this is an obvious thing, but, like, when Alabama loses, like, they're starting safety for for the year, like, in week three, the backup is a redshirt junior who is a five-star safety out of high school. He's getting replaced by another absolute stud. Like, the backup running back for Alabama was like a four-star running back out of out of high school. The entire depth chart on the defensive line and linebackers are four and five stars. And that's where you see the difference is because when we have like just studs like Herbert. I mean, the quarterback position is different because we've had so many people transfer out the last few years which is what happens when you have a really young guy who just kills it and it pretty much has a commanding role as a starter. Um, but that's kind of what you see on like the defensive line or linebackers or especially safeties. Like with more depth or quality depth leading up to this, we wouldn't be starting or we wouldn't basically be having five to six freshmen getting significant playing time in the secondary. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm not trying to make excuses. That honestly, the oh, even yeah. though I mean, even though you got to go out and win games, still like I'm, you don't get like moral victories, still. Yeah, even though I think the defense played relatively well, yep, for giving up 49 points. Yep. I mean, it, it in the second half they played much improved. They cut down on the explosion plays, and they got beat on a fade route. Um, let Let's keep this in perspective. Right now, Stanford is projected to be in the New Year's Six Bowl, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl against Wisconsin. So David Shaw has done a really good job at Stanford, continuing to build off the success that Harbaugh left. Um, He has finally gotten to the point where his offense is a strength of his team as opposed to something that where they really just rely on their defense. Um, And... I mean, we, we've seen this in years past. It's very hard to scheme for Stanford when so many of the teams in the Pac-12 play spread, and then all of a sudden, next week you play Stanford, and you have not only a guard pulling at you, but also a tight end. So, you know, you all have of, seven down linemen. Yeah, so all of a sudden you don't need two guys in the hole. Now you need three. I mean, that's... It, it's it's it was always going to be a difficult game for us against Stanford. Um, it, it's never fun to lose, but overall, I'm pretty I'm pretty positive about the state of the program, even with this last week's result. Yeah, yeah, and Stanford honestly does a lot of the type of blocking that Cristobal wants to run. And the type of lineman that Stanford has is pretty different than the type of lineman Oregon has right now. And I brought this up last week, um, but I really think that we're going to see like a lot more. We're going to see a lot more success on the offensive line when there's a 330, 350 pound freshman coming in. Not to say that those guys are going to start, but when those guys hit their sophomore and junior season, it's going to be just a different type. Of athlete playing that role, and that's not to say like, oh, we just need to wait for coaches to get their guys, because I f- firmly have the Urban Meyer role that you know, 
coach knew what they were getting in for. It's a win now environment, you know. I really don't care if like how bad or good the players are that are there. Obviously, there's some understanding of the situation, but tacking everything up to just like getting your guys is not chill. And also, I'm tired of blaming things now on Helfrich. I hope that one day people can just get over it. Um, and that's neither here nor there. So, so moving on. Yeah. Well, we I, right. So the thing, the thing about, think about UCLA. I guess the thing that's frustrating too is that I see like Khalil Tate come in and just ball out at Arizona, or I'm trying to think of like Maryland has like a couple guys who have stepped in at quarterback and are just k- killing it, but they're all guys who've had multiple experience in college. Like, One shooter. Huh. Bornschlager, that's his name. Who? At Maryland. Oh, Maryland, yeah. Yeah but, yeah, but all these guys have experience at the collegiate level. Braxton Rodemeister may be the future of the program. Who knows? Right now, he's just a true freshman who is not ready for college football. And we know that, and the coaches knew that, because we were redshirting him. That's what you do when you have guys who aren't ready to play yet. As freshmen, you redshirt them. Um, I think Taylor Alley is a fifth-string walk-on, or no, fifth-year walk-on, who was playing wide receiver in the spring. You know, like, there's not much you can expect in that type of a situation. We had guys transferred out. We've had a ton of guys transfer out over the course of, like, the last five, six years. And a lot of that's just unavoidable with the current state of the quarterback position in college. Um, but, I mean, all that's going to get fixed by recruiting. So I know I'm really not play, placing any future emphasis on Braxton's performances now. So, but, you know, I am, I am a little disappointed that uh, Pac-12 After Dark never seems to uh, cast the most shade on the Oregon team. It never gets darkest for the Ducks. We're always on the, on the, on the losing end of the Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, well, one of these days. One of these days, it will be our turn to be the bride and not the bridesmaid. So, as, a side, as a side note, it, it kind of bums me out how corporate Pac-12 after dark is is. It makes me so mad. It's like matched. That's that's very Portland of me. But I'm just saying, I don't want to hear about the announcers talking about Pac-12 After Dark. I just want it to live on Twitter. Well, they had the hashtag Pac-12 After Dark on the scoreboard. I know. It's too much. It's like it's like Maction. Because every day should be Saturday was the first person to start saying Maction. And before you know it, the the conference is trying to get it trademarked. That's what you, what happens when you live in a capitalist society, man. Yeah, with and if like you read the file, it was like them trying to tra- take credit for it. So it's like, no, you guys didn't even come up with this. So it's that type of a thing, and it really bugs me. I mean, that's neither here nor there. I just thought I would bring it up. Yeah. So um, UCLA was the game 
that I thought Oregon would be able to steal. Um, or like if we were missing Herbert, who has practiced a couple times now. If we were missing Herbert for four weeks, I'm expecting him to be out for the season. And if we're missing him for four weeks to six weeks, and we have this stretch of games, the UCLA one is the thought where I, is the one where I thought we could steal the win. Because they have shown against Arizona and Stanford that they are unable to stop the running game even when they know that the other team is unable to pass the football. Yeah, I mean, we've, we had this a couple years ago on our defensive end where I forget what year it was, but there was one year, I think it was back when we still had John Boyette, where both of our safeties were our leading tacklers. Right now, UCLA's two leading tacklers are defensive backs. I mean, yeah. that... That that does not bode well for your defense if you're allowing guys to get that far into the secondary where where your DB, DBs are consistently having to come up and make plays. Yeah. When the guys who are furthest away from the line of scrimmage have to be making the tackles. Now, you know, with that being said, honestly, there if we just go by S and P plus, uh UCLA's rank rushing defense versus off uh, passing defense, they're actually better defending the run than they are uh, the pass. That doesn't but make sense. If you look at recent games, that has certainly not been the case. Um, that if you looked at uh, some of their earlier games, like the game against um, Memphis, for example, or their earlier game, their first game against Texas A&M, that was the case. Yeah. But lately, if you dive into their their late latest games against Stanford, against Arizona, even against Colorado, which they managed to win, but they got torn up on the ground by Colorado's running back. Um, it, I agree. I, I think it bodes well for us on the offensive side of the ball, considering that that is our strength. On the defensive side of the ball. I think it bodes well for us trying to get back to that disruptive defense that I was talking about where we were taking the ball away earlier because turnovers are fickle, but right now UCLA is minus 10 on turnover margin. And that's not great. I mean, especially when you have your entire offense is basically Josh Rosen throwing the ball around he has 17 touchdowns this year, but he also has eight interceptions. Yeah. So, he definitely plays and, like someone who knows that his defense is not going to be picking up the slack and that it's basically on him to make sure the offense is humming. Exactly. So, you know, I I think we're going to be okay. Um, it's The Rose Bowl is not a difficult place to, to play fan-wise. Quietest 100,000-person stadium I've ever been in. Josh Rosen has taken 13 sacks thus far on the season. He is. Jelks, get at me. Our D-line and our, I mean, Jelks has been fantastic. Uh, Moy didn't get a sack last week, but I think he got a sack in the first three or four games of the season. Um, You know, pressuring the quarterback and putting pressure on the offense is a strength of this defense. And if we can continue to do that, 
then I think we'll be in a good position. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know what the uh, what's the spread for this game? Oh, it was US UCLA minus seven. Hmm. That's what it opened at. I sent those picks out to Sean last night. We're recording this on Tuesday. And that was minus seven. Interesting. Seven point underdog. You know, I... Opened at minus seven, moved to minus six and a half with a lot of money coming in on Oregon minus six, uh, plus six and a half. So yeah, right I now it's the, the odds are uh, minus 115. So there's less juice on it if you pick UCLA. So right now, based on S and P plus, we are projected to win. It's I mean it's fifty six percent win probability, so it's virtually a toss up, and the margin is two point four. Now with that in mind, that does take into account four games with a healthy Justin Herbert. Yeah. So you can't completely rely on those rankings. Um. But if, like you were saying, if we're going to get one while Herbert is out, I think that UCLA is the most likely, followed by Arizona. Arizona has certainly been a surprise, um, but out of the remaining games of UCLA, Utah, Washington, Arizona, and Oregon State, and I'm discounting Oregon State because I think Herbert might, would be back by then, I think UCLA is probably the most likely considering the skid that they're on. Yeah. But I think an Oregon team that's five and seven makes it to a bowl game. I mean, I would agree. I wouldn't bank on it, but I think that's the possibility. Because I know there was uh, there was reason to believe, that, or it was likely that if Oregon beat Oregon State, that they would get selected for a bowl game. I mean, with that being said, though, we're four and three right now. Our sights should be set on higher than five and seven. Nope. You know, it, cashing in, cashing in the the season. Five yeah. and seven is the ceiling. <laughs> the ceiling is the roof, and the roof is five and seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I, I'm actually looking forward to this game. I, I, I think it sets up well for us. Um, UCLA, even though I don't think they're a good football game, they're entertaining to watch. So good football team. So I, I, I think that will it'll be an entertaining game and I'm excited about our uniforms, I guess. What are they? Do we know yet? No, we don't know. But we've been on our hot streak lately. I love the jerseys this year. So let's um let's finish up with going over college football we what we have to look forward to. Actually, hold on one second. So, sure. Let's do a quick heat check on some hot takes. Ooh, okay. Um, first off, Taggart is too stubborn with his play calling for this team to be able to make it to a championship game. He is too stubborn with his play calling. To, I mean, long-term to make it to a national championship? Yes. I would agree with Ooh. the caveat 
with the caveat that it's it's basically based on two reasons. One, we haven't seen a ton of adjustment to shorter, quicker routes for our quarterback in the two and a half games where we've had Burmeister. Um, I think that that is an adjustment that a lot of our fans are calling for. Of course, I'm not in the coaches' meetings, but I, at least right now, I would kind of agree with that. All right. Hot take number two. I like this game. These coaches can recruit, but they sure can't coach. I 100% disagree with that. Why? You have seen the impact of uh, Coach Levitt on defense, and not just in the attitude that these players are bringing, but we were talking just, I think it was last week, about how Tyree Robinson has been put in the position to succeed, about how Ugo has been good off the bench playing the slot guy. Even well, how, though do you, he, how do you feel about offense? Offensively? Yeah. Um, I think that we've seen significant progress on our offensive line. I think penalties are an issue. Um, and I think the jury is still kind of out on offense because when we had Herbert in, the offense was humming. When Since we've had him out, it's been very difficult. Not so great. But with that being said, you know, it, it's hard to win ball games and just look at the game with one hand tied behind your back. Yeah. So I am out on that hot take. Okay. Um, let me see if I can find another one real fast. Basically, I found these by going through the game thread. Good. That's good. I was doing some modding, making sure everything was uh, at least somewhat in check during it, during the second half. Emotions get high. It's okay. So, um... This is a great podcast. This is great. This is great radio right now. <laughs> um, okay, I can't find anything. Um, so this weekend, we actually have some quality matchups, which means it probably won't be as exciting. Won't see as many uh, breakups. Yeah, um, for a supposedly boring weekend last week. It was the quintessential college football week. It was great. Oh, yeah. Whenever I see the boring games and I see all those lopsided spreads, I just think to myself, yeah, it's about to go down. Uh, when has there ever been a weekend where it was like, yep, everything went according to plan. Everything yep. went just how we thought it would. So I think I, one that I'm going to highlight right off the bat now, it's lost a little bit of luster compared to what this would have been two years ago. But Thursday night, we start our weekend early with Memphis versus Houston. Ooh, this That'll game be- looks so good at the beginning of the year. Houston is really not having a good time. 
they're struggling, but you do get to tune in and see Ed Oliver, who is a absolute monster on the defensive line for Houston. And Memphis is low key fun to watch. So Memphis that's, is a ton of fun. Low key uh, in the sense that not many people know to watch them. To be honest, I will go ahead and skip virtually all the games on Friday. Uh, none of those really interest me that much. Um, Oklahoma but, State at Texas, that could be interesting. Yep, starting on Saturday, I think that in the early morning shift, Oklahoma State at Texas is big. Uh, I would personally like to tune in to Louisville versus Florida State to see which fan base eats itself first. <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, it's bad. I, I'm looking at the ESPN schedule right now, and you can buy – this is at Florida State at Doe Campbell Stadium. Tickets starting at just $8. No. Oh, yeah. No. So if you happen to be in Tallahassee and you want to talk about the Knowles <laughs> – Oh, we're talking about the Knowles? It won't cost you none. No, no fan here. Uh, another highlight – uh, which I think might be a slept-on highlight for the early morning shift, is Iowa State versus Texas Tech at 10 o'clock on uh, Fox Sports 1. Yeah. That should be a fun game. This is a second week in a row that, that I've mentioned Texas Tech, and they did not uh, they did not disappoint last week against West Virginia. That was a fun game. It really was. And uh, Iowa State is, is making that loss to Oklahoma's loss look better and better every week. Yeah, they're somehow turning in a very solid season. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're not a bad program. No. Later in the day, the Tennessee game... Tennessee at Alabama. Yeah. This is interesting for one reason. Uh, Tennessee got their butts whipped a couple weeks ago. Just absolutely shellacked by Georgia. 41 to 0. Then they lost to Will Muschamp 15 to 9. Their biggest wins. Uh, oh, they actually beat Georgia Tech in the season opener. I totally forgot about that. But otherwise, their losses are to Florida. They have a 42 7 win over Indiana State and an exciting 17 13 win over UMass. Yeah, so, let's be real. This is going to be a bloodletting. Alabama's a 31.5-point favorite. I'm taking the over. Yes, I am too. I mean, I this is going to be a straight-up crucifixion. Does Butch Jones get fired? Uh, at the end of the season, yes. End of the game. Mid-season, No. I, I don't think so, anyway. So not on the airport runway? No, I don't think that's really their style. But I will say, for those of you that haven't seen it yet, it's a little bit old at this point, but you just need to watch the Alabama fan video where he's being interviewed on how much he hates Tennessee. <laughs> we can link it in the, in, in the, in the description. This is how I feel about Washington. Just sub in purple for orange. And so that that alone may make this game fun for maybe like a half. 
until it's out of reach. Yeah, you're going to have to send me that video. I will indeed. Okay. Uh, later in the in the day, at that same 1.30 time slot, I think it'll be interesting to see if Syracuse can keep it up when they travel to number 8 Miami. Yeah, both coming off huge emotional wins. Yep, so that could be a very fun game. Um, Michigan State is somehow 5-1, and one, and they're going against Indiana, who just came off a real heartbreaker against Michigan for like the fifth year in a row. Yeah. So that could be fun. UCF, the next coach of your Nebraska Cornhuskers, Scott Frost. At Navy. That's the that's really the reason why I watch UCF right now is A, because I feel some bond because he coached at Oregon and I'm enjoying watching him just crush it at UCF. And I think he would make an awesome head coach. I was actually hoping that we would be interviewing him for the head coach head coaching role at Oregon. Um, I'm pretty happy with Taggart. Oh, I'm really happy with Taggart also. I'm just saying I was I was just hoping that that was uh, somebody that was getting interviewed. Yeah. Um, the next ones that I'm really interested in, the, that that late afternoon slate kind of falls a little bit flat for me. Um, but That's Oregon-UCLA, so that's the only game we're going to be watching, really. Ex- exactly. And then we finish up strong. We have Michigan, oh, yeah. oh, Michigan yeah. at Penn State. In a Big Ten battle, USC versus Notre Dame, which personally I'm not too interested in that, but it's number 11 versus number 13. Uh, it could be a really entertaining game, so keep your eye on it. Uh, and then USC we is an up, underdog for the first time this year. And then we finish up strong with the last game of the day in Pullman, Washington State at Colorado for some. Corporate mean, tag Pac-12 after dark. You mean Colorado at Washington State in Pullman? Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah. Conference matchups are Oregon at UCLA, Arizona State at Utah, USC at Notre Dame, which is what we already said, um, Arizona at Cal, and then Colorado at Washington State. So Washington is on by... Uh, Stanford is on a bye. And is Oregon State on their bye? Oregon State must be on their bye also. This is going to be a fun week. You know, and it makes it even better that Washington gets to stew in their loss for one week. Yeah. That makes me happy. Uh, Couldn't have happened to to a worse team. So next week, we will review the UCLA game. Yeah. Uh, we will have a Oregon men's and maybe a little bit of women's basketball preview. Yeah. And we'll go from there. Yeah. I'm proud of, yeah, we're a basketball school anyways, so not too worried about this whole football thing. I think it's That's really not true. Fun. That's not true. I really care a lot. <laughs> All right. Closing comments. Um, you know, I'm going to take a page out of Damian Lillard's book and I'm going to leave you with a quote. And that quote is, 
whatever it is, don't let that worry you. Nice. There you go. On that note, thanks for joining us this week on Sling and Quack. Hope you guys got your fix, and we'll talk to you guys next week.